Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. Well, we recently uh, finished our Blessed series, and uh, I had another series lined up that we were going to go through, um, and this is going to be a series on prayer. Um, called Deeply Rooted, and it's something that uh, we've been asked to uh, to preach. Our denomination asked us to preach this coming up to the annual meeting because we make decisions about the church and how the church is going to go um, to focus. But um, on Tuesday, Pastor Christie uh, texted me Tuesday night, and she's like, don't forget, it's Pentecost Sunday. And I was like, oh, it's Pentecost Sunday, which is one of my, my favorite uh, church Ladies, uh, and we'll go over what that is in a little bit. And I was like, I think I have something for that. And so, um, so, so I, so I kind of dug it out and polished her up. And um, and then my wife just saw it because I always manuscript out my sermon. And my wife just saw the first line of my sermon um, this morning, about thirty minutes ago, forty-five minutes ago. And she said, "You can't say that." And uh, because I start with. My wife and I often have the same fight over and over again. And uh, so she said that I should say that we would have less fights if I listened to her. <laughs> um, but uh, so, but we do. We, we, we have, um, have, have some of the same conflicts over and over again. You know, after 15 years, 16 years of marriage, um, we, we have some of the same arguments. And... Uh, so, and, and this, this, is, this, is, this is the easy example I always like to give because I'm the person who cooks in our family. I enjoy it. Um, I think I'm good at it. Um, back whenever I was a teenager, I went to the, the King Career Center. I did, like, the, the cooking program, um, the culinary arts program. And I, I've been a prep cook and a line cook in several restaurants around town. And my mom owned um, Korean teriyaki restaurants growing up. So I've kind of grown up around food. My wife did not. Uh, cooking is not as natural to her and as much as I enjoy cooking though like once you have kids and you don't have time and you're just like I just got to get something out it can become a chore so every once in a while Alyssa my, my wonderful wife will make dinner to be kind and, uh, and because she didn't really grow up with cooking it's a little bit more of a chore for her um, so she has kind of like a few trusty recipes like these are the things I make and uh, some of the things she makes I do not really like. <laughs> um, uh, they're, they're, you know, sometimes they, 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 they have ingredients I don't like. Like, I, I'm, I'm not a huge bean fan. I don't mind them every once in a while, but, like, the problem with beans is, like, they feel like you're always eating beans if you make beans. They just last forever, um, which is a bonus for some people, but I get really tired of it. Um, and, uh, or, you know, maybe I just don't care for the flavor combination or texture or something, but it uh, doesn't matter. But anyways, I would never say... Honey, thank you for cooking this meal. I don't like it. All right, that would be rude. I would never ever say that. Um, so I, I, I say things like this: "Thank you for this. This is so good." Oh no, thank you. I don't want seconds. Um, and then, then later on, I'm like, I might say, "This is almost as good as your chicken pot pie," because um, that's my favorite. And I'm using chicken pot pie as an example because your chicken pot pie is delicious. And and when I say this is almost as good as your chicken pot pie, what I mean is. Um, I hate this. Please don't make this for me again. 
Um, please make me chicken pot pie. Um, but with Alyssa, what she hears is he likes that almost as much as he likes my chicken pot pie, <laughs> um, which is actually what I literally said. Um, and you know, chicken pot pie is a lot of work to make, right? You have to make the crust and you cook the chicken and all the fillings and the sauce. And so, um, you know, instead of doing all that work, Alyssa will think uh, to herself, gosh, that takes so much time. And, you know, Chris likes this other thing, right? Because she's doing it to be kind to me. Um, so I'm gonna, I'll, I'll just make this other thing again. And the second time she makes it, I'll be like a little bit less complimentary, right? But I'll still eat it, right? I don't, and I'll, I'll still say something like, thank you. This is almost as good as your chicken pot pie. <laughs> and uh, not as many compliments, but, uh, you know, and so she'll go through and she'll, she'll make the dish again, <laughs> you know, a third time. And I'm just like, oh, all right. And, you know, and eventually, like, you know, because she's not getting what I'm saying, eventually, like, I'm, I'm, I just, like, I blow up and I'm just really rude about it. <laughs> like, no, um, because she keeps making this dish that, we're, that I don't like. And even though we're speaking the same language, right, we're speaking the same language, the words don't mean the same things to us, right? Um, because I have a really hard time conveying my gratitude. Yes, I am grateful that you cook. But I don't know how to do that and say, but I don't like what you made. Right? That's, that's rude. Um, and she, she, she has a hard time hearing nuance sometimes. Um, so we, we kind of joke that, uh, that, like, Alyssa's a direct talker. If you know my wife, you know that. She's a direct talker, and she doesn't get nuance. And so sometimes I have to be, like, very direct. But the problem is, is if you're very direct, you can hurt their feelings. And so that's a really delicate line. And uh, I, sometimes I do well, and sometimes I do not. Um, and you'd think after 16 years of marriage, we'd have this communication thing down, but uh, we don't. <laughs> we still have the, these arguments. Uh, you know, I, I might make a subtle reference um, because, you know, I, I kind of like, I don't know, I, I'm not a direct talker, right? I kind of like, I'll just make some subtle references and hoping that she'll understand what I'm saying um, and she'll get the, all the nuances and connotations of my statement, but she just hears the literal words that I say. <laughs> Um, and she doesn't read the tone of voice and stuff. Miscommunication causes division. It creates space in a relationship when resentments and hard feelings grow. And if, you're, and if you think you're being clear, especially, especially if you think you're being clear, like you think you're, I'm, I'm telling you this, and the other person still doesn't understand you. Gosh, um, talking on the phone. I hate talking on the phone because like, there's so many times I'm like, oh, I just don't understand um, because there's so much room for miscommunication. Today, we're going to be looking at the story um, of the Tower of Babel, about how human speech became changed and people became scattered, unable to understand each other. And, and this is a, a, a primeval story, a story of our origins, right? Um, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, uh, the first book of the Bible, they look at humanity and it addresses big questions of life. Like, who are we? Where do we come from? Why are things like this? Um, and later on, after chapter 11, starting in chapter 12, it gets a little bit specific. We start working through one family. But the first 11 chapters is kind of all humanity. So with that, let's pray. Holy Father, you know us and you love us. May your spirit take hold of your people so that we can hold on to your truth and grow more aware of your presence and participate 
in your work in this world and in each other. And in each other. We repent of the things that divide us from you, from the active and passive sins of our heart, from the sins of our communities, Lord, that separate us from you. Draw near spirit so we may find life in you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, now let's read the story of the Tower of Babel. This is Genesis chapter 11, uh, starting at verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As poop of people moved eastward, they found a plain in China and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if one people speaking the same language, if they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another or each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That's why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Um, so, like I said, this is a, a primeval story, um, a story of origins. And, and like many stories, it starts with some sort of like idyllic setting, and then something problematic happens, um, something that disturbs the natural harmony. And in this setting, it starts, humans are one family. They all spoke the same language, and they had a common speech, and they understood each other. There wasn't any miscommunication. They listened, then listened to what they did with this perfect speech. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick for stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heavens that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Um, now, as I read the story, right, you have to kind of ask yourself like, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that when we make a tower? Um, and maybe it's because my childhood obsession was space travel. I was one of those kids that used to write NASA. Because back whenever I was a kid before the internet, you know, you'd write NASA and they'd send you pictures um, of like all the space stuff. And um, and so so what's wrong with wanting a tower that reaches to heaven? Like, I mean, I want to go to space. That'd be cool. Um, what's wrong with not wanting to be scattered across the globe? What's wrong with just wanting to hang out and get along? Why didn't God like this? And then, you know, that kind of leads to other thoughts like, well, is God overreacting? That seems like a pretty harsh reaction. Um, you know, this actually sounds like something I would do with my kids and I'm mad at them, right? They're not getting along or they're doing something. I'm like, no, you go to this side of that room and you go to that side of the room, right? Um, because moving people to the opposite corners of the world and not letting them talk to each other seems like a little bit much. Um, but God was not okay with humans' plans. God did not like what the people were doing. And, I, and um, you know, kind of doing research, right? You read interpretations of the story and some of the um, commentators say that it was because humans were prideful, so God was dealing with their pride. And some say that people weren't obeying God's earlier commands to be um, fruitful in Genesis one twenty eight and nine one, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth, right? Because they were wanting to stay all together, so God scattered them. Um, and so you know that interpretation says we were reluctant to follow God's commands, um, and so this is the way God kind of was accomplishing His commands, right? When we're reluctant. And those are all good interpretations of those events. 
Um, but I, I think we kind of missed something because God loves his creation. He called it good when he made it. And when this world, um, in this world that God was at work to redeem through Jesus, the Messiah, in whom and for whom all things are created, God has always loved his people. Always loved his people. And he's always been at work to redeem and restore and protect them. So we kind of like say, well, well, this is a story revealed to us about God's redeeming and powerful love. Because God is love. He's always been love. Right? And sometimes we read these Old Testament stories and uh, we forget that along with all the other attributes of God, God is love. Sometimes we just think of Old Testament God as mean and strict and judgmental. And then in the New Testament, Jesus comes along and God gets better. That you know, he becomes kinder and nicer. But we know that's not true. Jesus told us that he and the Father are one. The Son acts in accordance with the Father's will. And to know the Son is to know the Father. And to know the Father is to know the Son. They share the same characteristics. They, they look like each other. There's a family resemblance, right? God has always been loving. And so whatever God does is loving. It's sacrificial. It's generous. It's restoring. It's healing. It's patient. It is all those things that together mean love. And so I struggle with, like, how, how does this story show the love of God? Because it shows his might, and it shows his power, and it shows his authority, and it shows his holiness, because God's all those things. It shows all those things. But how does God confusing people and allowing misunderstanding and miscommunication to enter into our speech, how does that show God's love? How does dividing relationships show God's love? So then we look at it. Like, what do people say? Let's look at why they're building a tower. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Um, that tower is kind of incidental. If you listen to what they're saying, uh, building a tower, that's just the outward action. The reason for building is to make a name for themselves so they won't be scattered over all the earth. The people, they're afraid of being alone. They're afraid of being scattered. They're afraid of not mattering. They're afraid that they don't have any value. And if they don't do this one big thing, to make a huge tower that can touch the heaven, no one will care about them. They will not matter. And, and, and scripture shows that this is a ridiculous plan anyways. Because God has to come down from heaven to see it. Um, nothing built by human hands ever reaches God. But this was their attempt to be noticed, to show that they were important, so that we would not be scattered over the whole face of the earth. Um, people do foolish things to not be alone. I mean, you want an example? Visit any high school, right? Visit, visit the college. Look at the ridiculous things we do to show our uniqueness. And our importance. I, I remember one winter when I was like 18 or 19, I gave up wearing a jacket for the winter, right? I'm, I'm from Alaska, right? I just gave up wearing a jacket. Like, I'm not going to do that anymore. And I wore a thick fleece bathrobe all winter and uh, everywhere I went. And I thought it was so cool. Um, full disclosure, I was not so cool. Um, we do dumb things to get noticed to prove our value and our uniqueness, our specialness. Huh? And God sees this, right? And, 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 and this is what people. The people that built the tower in Shinar, that's what they're doing. They're trying to make a name for themselves. So the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building, right? The Lord came down. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. 
Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Here's the thing. When God warns nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them, God isn't talking about stacking rocks on top of each other to make a tower. God's speaking about people coming together without him. Apart from him, trying to build a new society without God. Trying to prove their value and their worth to make a name for themselves, separate from God. Uh, this story is right after the story of Noah, when the whole earth grew so wicked that God repented of, of creating them and almost wiped out the earth. Right? Um, that was the result of a community that had forgotten God. And here it is, happening again. The people coming together to build a new society, and it's not based on God's love and protection and provision. It's being built under the glory of their own name. Let's make a name for ourselves, right? And nothing is impossible when they do that. That's not a good thing. Because if God is love, if God is good, if God is kind, if God is holy, if God is merciful and gracious, what does it mean when you try to build a society apart from God? Nothing is impossible. There's no telling how bad it can get. Nothing is impossible. Tragedy is inevitable. Nothing gets impossible. And we see this later throughout the Old Testament as we look at Israel, God's chosen people, and the damage of a society that forgets the love of God. I mean, that's kind of like the chronicles of the Old Testament. You study the histories. It's about them repeatedly forgetting God. And nothing is impossible. There's no limits to the, the depths that they can sink. Um, and there's lots of examples. But let's just look at this one. This is Hosea 4, 1 through 3. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring to you against you who live in this land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the fields, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea are swept away. This is a people chosen by God. And you hear how far they stray when they ignore him? Nothing is impossible. No, there's no depths to how low they can go. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away. The beasts in the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea are swept away. In this passage, there's examples of like wrecked personal relationships. There's physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. There's economic exploitation. There's environmental degradation. There's no justice. When you build a society apart from God, nothing is impossible. And just like when you build your life apart from God, nothing is impossible. There's no bottom to how low you can sink. There's no limit to how far we can go to exploit and degrade one another. There's no limit to the shame we can inflict on one another, to the shame that we can inflict upon ourselves. It's horrible. Nothing is impossible without God. I mean, if you just hear that without any context, it sounds like a good thing. Nothing's impossible without God. But Scripture shows us how terrible that statement is. History shows us how terrible that statement is. Many of our lives have shown us how terrible of a statement that is. 
Nothing is impossible without God. Because we were made to be in relationship. We were made to be in communion with God. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth. and They stopped building the city. That's why it was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. God stopping the Tower of Babel from being built is an act of love. He didn't just smash the tower and say no. Instead, God made a space for God's self, right? For God's redemptive work to enter into the story. God scattered the people and he confused their language. That's true. But God didn't just stop there, right? God didn't say, well, people messed up again. Take that. Boom. There you go. No, the Genesis story keeps going. Because if you read, um, if you keep reading, right, the rest of chapter 11 is some genealogy stuff. But then chapter 12 is the next story. And that's when God starts to call people back to him. Uh, the very next Genesis story is about Abram. The next story is about God calling Abram out to be a blessing to all the nations, right? To all the peoples, all the nations scattered around all the earth. And that blessing comes to fruition through Jesus. The story of Babel isn't the story about cosmic punishment. It's the story of God saying, I'm not going to let you go your own way without me. I'm going to be part of your story. And many of us, we, we have these Babel stories, right? Stories of going our own way, forgetting God, living our life, uh, trying to do the best we can, making a name for ourselves by ourselves. And, and sometimes we can feel like ourselves, feeling alone, cut off from other people, maybe even people closest from us. Um, I know I have plenty of stories like that, right? Where I forget God, where I try to look for myself, make a name for myself. And it doesn't go well. In uh, some sense, we're all stuck after Babel, right? We all deal with times of loneliness, feeling misunderstood, um, without feeling known. But we are made to be known. We are made for God, to be known by God. Not just for us to know God, but for God to know us. And I know that you have a hunger in you and a desire to be known, to be deeply known. I know that because I have that. I have that same desire. Because you were made for God, and I was made for God. And God has made me to be known by him. And he's made you to be known by him. And God didn't want the people to build a tower. God wanted people to build a church. And God was building a church. The church is God's answer to the Tower of Babel. Uh, this is Pentecost Sunday. I said we come back to this. This is the birthday of the church. Um, when the church celebrates the reversal of Babel. Let's read that story real quick. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost come, came, sorry, the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't those who speak in Galileans? Then how is it each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and the Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongue. 
Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. This is Pentecost Sunday, when the church comes together to celebrate its birth, right? When the Spirit of God moved in the hearts of an international body of believers who were gathered together. And in this diverse body, the Holy Spirit came and gave them tongues to glorify God, right? To declare God's wonders so that we can understand one another. In our own heart's language, this is Babel being reversed because God has made himself a church and he's created a new people, a new body for himself, right? For him to be with. And we are invited into that, right? Instead of being scattered and separated, he calls us back together, right? He calls us back together. The issue was doing things without God, but God's bringing us. He's saying, I'm going to be part of this. No, no, no. I want to be with you. And you are invited. You don't have to make a name for yourself because you're already known. And you don't have to prove that you're important because God has known you since before the creation of the world. And you don't have to show how valuable you are because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace we've been saved, right? And in his church, we can be known and loved and valued, right? All of us, all of us, we all have a place. And the Holy Spirit will make that place a home if we want. God was creating a community. He's creating a community. He's creating a family. He's creating a body. And it's not just a place to serve or to donate time and money. It's a place to enter the presence of God through praise and worship and fellowship with one another, through service with one another. It's a place to feel the movement of the Spirit because God's Spirit moves in His people. And it's not what you build. It's not the work you do. It's not what you bring. It's not your status, your prestige, or lack thereof. It's you. God desires you. God loves you. And God loves you too much to leave you alone in an empty tower without him. God's calling you into his church. Uh, I want to close today by reading the end of Acts 2, right? And this is what happens when the Holy Spirit reverses the effects of Babel. And we heard what happened when the Holy Spirit came upon the fledgling church, but this was the outcome, starting on verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs being performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. God didn't let his people build a tower because he had plans to build a church. And you are the church that God's building. You together, right, with me, with your neighbor. That's, the, that's what God's building. That's, the, that's what God wanted. And we're all invited to participate. Let's pray. Lord, we trust in your goodness, Lord. And there are times when we, we hear things and we're like, I don't know God. I don't know why that, make, why that makes sense. That sounds like that's too much or that's, I don't know God. But you know that even, we know, Lord, that we're learning. That even in the darkest stories, Lord, you have not forgotten us that you want to be a part, 
You want to be a part of us. You want to be a part of our stories. You want to know us, Lord, that you've chosen to be with us, God. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for your gifts. Teach us to live in that space. Teach us to accept it. Teach us to be in community with one another, to encourage one another, to work together, Lord, in accordance with your spirit, Lord, to work toward your kingdom, Lord. And all of heaven and earth are reunited, Lord, the way that you wanted them to be. So we may dwell in your house forever. In Christ's name, amen.